I do use notes most Sundays, and I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to see with any clarity my notes or my Bible. It's rather dark up here. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Acts 4, verses 23 through 31, our text for uh, this morning's sermon. Uh, Any kind of confrontation is uncomfortable for us. Uh, Anytime I have a a confrontation or or a disagreement or a conflict of some uh, sort with uh, somebody on the staff of the church or a family member or a friend or my my wife, uh, it's uncomfortable. Uh, this is this is how it is for us. We we're we're, um, we're uneasy in, in those sorts of of circumstances. Um, it's unsettling, even though, even when it's in connection with the most trivial of things. Well, the circumstances have not been trivial for the. Uh, the apostles. In verses 1 through 22, they were hauled before the Sanhedrin, which would be the Supreme Court in Israel. The Sanhedrin would have been the elite of that society. They would have been the rich and the powerful, uh, the great ones of the earth. Uh, they would have been hauled in front of them in a semicircle and confronted with their disapproval and uh, with their anger and Uh, with their charge in verse 18 of this chapter that they were not to preach, and that they were threatened further, we're told in verse uh, 21. It it must be that they were unnerved by this, that they were troubled by it, that they were frightened uh, by the confrontation. After all, who were they? Who were they, and and, and what do they know? Uh, They're just poor fishermen. the Sanhedrin themselves recognized them to be uneducated by their standard and common men. And so who were they to instruct the, the great members of the Sanhedrin? And what are they to do about uh, the orders that they have been given? Are they to fight back? Or that would be futile. Are they to, to give up? No. Chapter 4, verse 20, they said, We cannot but... Uh, preach? Are they to adapt their message, sort of tone it down some, or spruce it up a bit so that it might be less offensive? Uh, no, they, 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 they can't do that uh, either. They don't have any courts that they can uh, turn to. Uh, there are no congressmen that they can call. They have no right to petition. Uh, there's no social media where they can post their grievance. Uh, there is no vehicle for the expression of their dissent. Can they just run? It's almost what you would expect them to do, because that's what they did when Jesus was arrested, and, and this is the same group doing the arresting. They strike the shepherd and the, and, and the sheep scattered. That's how they responded the last time. So you might expect them to scatter this time, in fear for what awaits them. And instead... They do the one thing that they can do, the one option that they have. They pray. They know that only God can help them in this situation. They have nowhere else that they can turn. They realize how weak and vulnerable they are. They realize that only only God can intervene on their behalf if they are to be spared. And therefore they cry out in prayer the way the people of God have learned to cry out all through the centuries, if we can borrow from the language of 
the Apostle Paul, uh, understanding as we do that God's power is perfected in weakness, and it is only when we are weak, realizing our weakness, conscious of uh, how fragile and vulnerable that we are, that we are truly strong, because it's at that point that we then turn to God, uh, the God for whom all things are possible and for whom nothing is impossible, and rest and rely upon him uh, to do that which no one else is able to do. So what did they do, these early Christians? They gathered, they worshipped, and God provided. So it's under those headings that we'll look at our passage. First of all, uh, they gathered. Uh, Look with me at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. This was a preliminary hearing, so they were threatened, they were then released. And then they go to their friends. Apparently they know where they would have been gathering. And note that they were gathering. This was likely one of um, an occasion of of daily prayer that the early church uh, would have observed after the pattern of the synagogue. More on that in a moment. But their daily prayer in the synagogue was reproduced by the early church. So they had daily prayer. So uh, the the disciples and the apostles go right where to go. They gather, they gather with the church, they then report what had taken place, what had had happened. So notice what the, the instinct of the early Christians was. It was to gather. It was uh, to gather with the people of God. It was to gather with the church, where their burden might be shared, where uh, their trial might be shared with the, with the other believers so that they wouldn't bear the, the, the burden of this trial, this, this, this conflict, this, this uh, bit of preliminary persecution on their own. They didn't seek time alone. They didn't seek time for reflection. They didn't even go to their closets, as it were, to pray. They sought, sought fellowship with the, with the people of God and then shared with them what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In other words, they went where they could unburden themselves and relate their trials, which they no longer would have to endure alone. I want to contrast that with what far too frequently is, is our tendency, which is, Uh, that when we have trouble, family trouble, uh, maybe trouble uh, on the job, maybe we've lost our job, and it's it's, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, or or maybe the the children are misbehaving, and they they brought dishonor uh, to to the parents and to the family. So when we have this, 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 this kind of... These kinds of circumstances where we are embarrassed about what has taken place within our circle, within our family, and uh, with our parents, with our children, uh, with each other, with our spouse. When, when we are humiliated and embarrassed, what we tend to do is to stay away from the church, to flee from the people of God. So that we won't have to face others with, with uh, the problems that, that we are facing. That contrast with what the disciples are doing here. And it's ironic because when we stay away, when we hide, 
we are avoiding the very place where help for us might be found. Uh, how is it that uh, we are to bear uh, one another's burdens if, when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, our instinct is to flee and is to hide and is to stay away? Uh, to to, to, to uh, forsake the uh, assembling together of the brethren. How are we to bear one another's burdens? How are we to care for one another? How are we to show concern for one another? How are we to be kind uh, to one another? Or to sum up, how are we to love each other if we are not coming to church, to the gathering of the saints, week by week, in order to serve or in order to be served by others? in the time of our need. Uh, what, what the apostles do here is instructive, instructive for us. This is a time of, of persecution. This is a trial. This is, this is trouble for them. And what they do is they seek the support of the congregation of God's people. They share their burden so that the burden might be shared by others. Uh, let that be the pattern for us as well. That when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, when we're confronted from some trial, particularly when it's of a public nature, and we're embarrassed about things, and we're humiliated by what's taken place, and when we feel that we want to hide, that we in fact would do the opposite. We gather with the people of God so that we might be ministered to by uh, the people of God and by the ministers of God and by the Word of God. And find uh, the comfort and, and, and the strength that we need in the midst of those circumstances. So, number one, what they did is they gathered. Uh, number two, they worshipped. They heard the report. I think that that's their period of announcements. They heard the report, and then they worshipped. Uh, verses 24 through 30 follows the outline of the typical daily service of daily prayers that was conducted in the synagogue. And so it's a special interest to us to know how it was that they organized their worship. Uh, we had a description of the, of the elements of their assembly, their, the various elements of, the, of their worship together when they gathered back in chapter 2, verse 42. Here we have something more like the videotape of that assembly. What how, how the service itself actually progressed. So let's look at beginning at verse 24. Number one, they began with praise. So verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Uh, that is the uh, Greek word that underlies our word despot. It's a very strong word. It speaks of the, the, the power that God alone has, the authority that he has alone. He is the sovereign one. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So notice the language that's being used here. But notice also the context within which this takes place. They have every reason for anxiety. And yet they don't launch right into their petitions. Probably what's happening here, like with the synagogue, is they sang or chanted Psalms 145 through 150, which was a standard part of the daily prayer 
uh, in the ancient synagogues. And they, they take the language of Psalm 146, or rather what Luke does is he highlights that one verse. And I think by doing so, he's pointing that this is what they did. They went through the normal practice of singing the Psalms. And what he highlights particularly is this sixth verse, which refers to God uh, as, uh, the, as, the, as the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. All of Psalms 145 through 150 are psalms of praise, very God-focused, very much taken with the praise of God and the, the highlighting of his, of, his, of his attributes and of his works. So they followed the, the normal pattern. Even in a time of crisis, they followed uh, the normal pattern. Why is it that they did that, besides it being a matter of, of discipline to sing the praises of God? Why was it important at that moment that they not uh, depart from the normal discipline? Well, I, I think it's because there was a need for them to remind themselves in the midst of their trouble the identity of their God. Their God is the God who made the heavens and the earth. Uh, their God is the sovereign Lord. Their God is the God for whom all things are possible. Uh, their, their God is the God for whom nothing shall be impossible. That's who they are crying out to uh, when they offer their petitions. And so they, this is a way of buttressing their faith, strengthening their faith. They're reminding themselves of, of the, the capabilities of God, the capacities that he has, the strength that he has, the power that he, he has. Is there anything that's too difficult for the God who made uh, the heavens and the earth? No, what they're doing here is they're they're shaping their perspective. We see a similar uh, case in Isaiah chapter 40 where Isaiah uh, says that all of the nations, all of the nations are as, as a drop in the bucket before Almighty God. He's saying that uh, as he's anticipating the approach of the Babylonians and, and the likelihood of conquest by them, and all of the suffering that will be, be the result. And so he's contemplating that, and he reminds himself, in order to strengthen his faith, that this is the God who stretched out the heavens by himself. This is the God who numbered the stars and called them by name. This is the God who measured out the waters in the palm of his hand, all of the oceans, and the rivers, and the streams, and the lakes, they all fit in the palm of his hands. He took, he took the mountains and he weighed them in his balance, and the hills upon his scale. This is the, the scope of things. This is the scale of his greatness. And uh, which is, by the way, why we need to constantly be singing the Psalms. And so that we're constantly reminding ourselves, even in our singing, in our, in, uh, in our praises, as we just heard, how great thou art. And that's what we need to know, first and foremost, in, in troubling times and in difficult circumstances in the trials and, and tribulations of, of life. They're gaining perspective. What problems do we have that are too big for God? That's another way to put it. You know, what are your individual problems? What is the trial that you face? What is the hardship uh, that uh, you're enduring? Are these problems bigger than the creator of the heavens and the earth? Well, of course they're not. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, don't we? 
We need to remind ourselves that, uh, that even all of the nations of the world are like specks before God. The God upon whom we call in Christ. Uh, secondly, they read scripture. Uh, so if we're right in understanding verse 24 as being the singing of these psalms of praise, we then read in verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David your servant said, By the Holy Spirit. And then uh, he cites Psalm 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. Likely that he read the whole psalm. Likely that he read also from or they read also from the, uh, the prophets and the law. This was standard again in the procedure. Again, Luke is giving us abbreviated versions, so he cites this psalm, letting us know that they went through their ordinary Bible reading, which would have been through the psalms and through the law and through the prophets, verse by verse they read through books of the Bible, much more substantial in their Bible reading in those days than, than we tend to be today. Uh, look again at verse 25, and notice the understanding of inspiration. You have the, the human agent. The sovereign Lord spoke through the mouth of our father David. There's the human agent. But it wasn't just David. Your servant David said, by the Holy Spirit. There's the divine source of what David wrote. David wrote the second psalm, but he did so by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it was the Holy Spirit speaking through David. David's the human agent. The Holy Spirit is the source of that which David wrote in the second psalm. And so they cite to Psalm 2, uh, verses uh, 1 and 2. And this was, uh, again, a standard practice and underscores the importance of reading substantial portions of the Scripture. If we want to respond to things that the way uh, these early Christians responded, we need to lay the kinds of foundations that uh, they laid. We need to know the Psalms. We need to know the Scripture. They've not yet begun to petition. No, they're, 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 they're not rushing through the normal process. They're ensuring that the foundation is laid every time that they gather. They sing the praises of God. They read the scriptures. Then what follows is the sermon. So they began with praise. They read scripture. And then they preached. They taught and exhorted on the basis of the reading of the scripture. So he, he then says in verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together... Your, against your holy servant whom you anointed. Now, look at, back up at verse 26. Uh, 25a. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? Verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So, uh, so what's happening here? Well, the second psalm is being interpreted. That's why we're calling this section a sermon. It's being interpreted. It's being applied. Exhortations will arise out of the reading. And we know from the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, exhortation to, to uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.13, uh, he was urged to give attention to the reading, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. The exhortation and teaching arises out of the reading. And that seems to be what's happening here. The interpretation of the second psalm is being given. 
Jesus is the anointed one of Psalm 2, verse 2. Uh, signed it just above there. Against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, this, uh, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. He's saying that the second psalm, this section of the second psalm, was fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Herod uh, would be one of the rulers, and Pontius Pilate, one of the kings of the earth. Together with the Gentiles, uh, those are uh, the Gentiles of verse 1. Why did the Gentiles rage? Yes, the Gentiles, the Romans are those Gentiles. And the peoples of Israel, those are the peoples plotting in vain. Also from verse 1. So you see there's a careful interpretation of the second psalm that's being given. And what did they do? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to occur. That's the application of the sermon. What was it that the Gentiles and the peoples and the kings of the earth and the rulers, what did they do? They did what God's hand and purpose or plan predestined to occur. All that took place at the cross we're being told, took place by the plan, that is the predestinating plan, and the hand of God. What his plan predestined, his hand accomplished. He both planned uh, in his eternal counsels, and then by his hand he so directed things that exactly what he had planned and purposed took, uh, took place. So that this rage, why did the Gentiles rage, this hateful scheming and brutal viciousness that resulted in the crucifixion of Christ took place by the hand and plan of Almighty God. So what's the point of all that? Well, the point is to be reassuring to the people of God that when that took place, things were not out of control. Uh, things were, uh, things were pro proceeded according to the plan and purpose of God. He is sovereign over events. Uh, what's the point for them at that moment? I think the point at that moment is the same as it is for us in every one of our moments. In other words, they're interpreting the second psalm, looking back to the crucifixion. What about right now? Well, the point is... That everything that is happening is happening according to the hand and purpose of God. In other words, the crucifixion for Christians is, is both an event, it's also a paradigm. It gives us a pattern. This is how things happen in this world. What takes place, takes place by the hand and the purpose of God. In other words, there are no chance events. There's no bad luck. All that takes place, takes place according to the sovereign plan of the God who is your Father. And the paradigm is, the cross itself, the greatest evil ever committed resulted in the greatest good. That's the pattern. Going back at least to Augustine, Christians have been saying, why does God permit evil? And the answer is, for the greater good. Always for the greater good. And so out of the crucifixion comes a salvation of a multitude that no one can number. Out of the crucifixion comes history's clearest 
uh, manifestation of the love of God and the grace of God and the patience of God and the kindness of God, as well as the wrath of God against sin and his righteousness. So it's a, for the greater good. And they're to be comforted by that, that they know even in their present circumstances, while the world may be raging around them, and, and this is what we can do in our circumstances, as events unfold, as the world rages, and this is, this is characteristic of the world, raging against the people of God. Going all the way back to Cain and Abel, it's always been the pattern. The world is raging, we're unsettled. And what comforts us in knowing that our Father in heaven is sovereign over these things? He's in control of history. He's in control of events. He's working out his plan. He's working out his purpose. He's doing all things. Ephesians 1.11, according to the counsel of his own will. Romans 8.28, he's causing all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's always the case. And they're being reminded of that right now. And then, fourthly, they prayed. So they sang the Psalms. They, they read the Scripture. They preached. And then they prayed. Look down at verse 29. And now, Lord... See, there's the, the turn to prayer. Before that, they were addressing themselves as they were uh, hearing the Scripture read and then hearing the Scripture preached and applied, interpreted and applied. And now, Lord, they're praying, look upon their threats. And again, they're following the pattern of the synagogue. The service concluded with prayer. So they are concluding uh, their contemplations, their, their devotions with prayer. But they're doing so now with in reinvigorated faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Romans ten seventeen. They've not neglected the foundation. They've gone back to the word. They've sung that word. They've read that word. They've expounded that, that word. Faith comes by hearing. Their faith has been strengthened. Now they're ready to pray. Pray with faith. Pray believing. Pray effectually. You see how important it is about what we do when we gather as, as, as a Christian community? How important it is that, that, that we sing the Psalms, that, 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 that we read the Scripture, that we expound the Scriptures and apply them, and that we commit substantial amounts of time to prayer? So they prayed, look upon their threats, implication being, and do something. Matthew Henry says, either tie their hands or turn their hearts. It's a very mild prayer. They're not saying, they're not calling down fire from heaven. And they're not asking God to destroy their enemies. They're willing to call out to him and leave it with him, which is very difficult for us to do. To just leave our troubles with the Lord and not... Uh, take things into our own hands, particularly in connection with our enemies. We like to get in a few licks. That's why the Psalms have to tell us over and over, like Psalm 37, the Psalm 46, fret not, be still, wait, find refuge and strength in God, and, and, and don't take things in, into your own hands. Trust Him. 
Uh, They continue. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Notice what their, their main concern is. The main concern is not with their troubles. Yes, they address their troubles, and yes, they want to be rescued from uh, the, the, the trouble that they face, but their great concern is that they be emboldened to continue to speak the word, that they not give, give in to their fears, to their anxieties. Uh, they're, they're concerned that they remain faithful and fruitful and bold in their, in their witness. And then they pray in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they want to God to, to demonstrate uh, uh, that uh, what they uh, preach is, is true. Uh, they, they want their message verified, their credibility underscored by, by supernatural signs, um, cr- uh, miracles that will support and, and create opportunities for their faithful proclamation. Calvin points out this prayer is all about the glory of God. And notice that uh, it's congregational prayer. This is them together praying. Surely somebody was leading them in those prayers. Uh, But uh, they adding their amen, praying along with uh, the one who is leading. Their their concern is is not small and narrow, their troubles. Their concern in prayer is wide-ranging. And so it should be for us. And so it needs to be for us. It's important that we commit substantial time to prayer in our services. And it's important that when we pray, that our prayers be wide-ranging. Yes, concerned about our immediate circumstances, but also then praying for the the church universal, praying for uh, the nation, praying for Christian mission around the world, wide-ranging. Why? Because ultimately the outlook is the glory of God. He be, him being honored throughout the whole earth, the knowledge of his glory covering the earth as the waters cover the seas. And then we read of God's response. This would be our third point. They gathered, they worshipped, they worshipped by praising God in the Psalms, reading scripture, preaching, praying, And then God responded, enabling them to continue. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. God provided a a visible, supernatural sign to buttress their faith, uh, to assure them of his continued presence and favor with them. One of the church fathers, John Chrysostom, says the place was shaken so that they would not be shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not uh, the indwelling of the Spirit, which is uh, the birthright of every believer. All believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is a filling that strengthens. This is an empowering of the Spirit. This is a, a, an extra portion of the Scripture, strengthening and, and emboldening uh, these early Christians for the tasks 
that are before them. And so they prayed for boldness, and verse 31 says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. More and more, we are conscious in our day of our weakness. I think the trends are are undeniable. They've been going on for decades. Uh, We are weak and we are vulnerable as a Christian community. We face a world that is increasingly hostile to us and to our message. Uh, We more and more are, are, are tempted to compromise our message. Uh, to water it down or spruce it up, uh, to avoid what is offensive to other people. If we are to impact our world the way that the, these early Christians impacted their world, we'll need to persist in laying the foundation week after week of singing the praises of God, of reading the Scripture, preaching the Scripture, and praying. We need to lay that foundation every week. But we also need to be praying that we would be filled in the sense of empowered by the Holy Spirit. That there would be real divine power in our ministry. Because our, our, our efforts, frankly, just look futile. We just seem overwhelmed. And what's needed is a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a filling of the servants of God. The whole church was filled, it says here. Not just the ministers, but everyone filled and then boldly going out and ministering in the name of Christ. That, that's the great need. And God can do in a moment what uh, all of our efforts are, have been en- unable to do for decades. He can do that in a moment. And so let's continue to lay the foundation, but let's also be diligent in prayer. That God would fill us with His Spirit so that we would be bold and faithful in, in declaring this gospel to our generation as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the example of these these early Christians. And, oh Lord, we pray that that we would not fail to gather together, that we would not allow our, our, our fears to overcome us and scatter like sheep. We pray, oh Lord, that we would faithfully build the foundation the foundation of your word as as it's sung and read and preached and prayed. And, oh Lord, we pray that you'll hear our prayers. Pour out your Spirit with great power so that we might be bold and unflinching and fruitful in our witness in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.